Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Are you experiencing contentment in the fullest sense of that term? When one knows God personally, is in a covenantal relationship and specifically a new covenant relationship with him through Messiah Yeshua, that is our Redeemer and Savior and Lord. When we are in such a covenant relationship, we are going to be transformed, and he, through the work of his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to transform us into what he wants us to be. And when we are moving towards that, when that is being worked out in our life, when we are doing his will, then and only then are we going to know that contentment and that contentment is going to give us that inner peace and it is going to give us a feeling of assurance and significance. It is only when one is pursuing the will of God, then he will know that his life, her life, has meaning and significance. Why? Because when we work the kingdom's work, when we are in the midst of our Father's will, our Heavenly Father, we know that what we're doing is going to have kingdom outcome, and that means eternal consequences. It gives us a meaning that's far different than the rest of those who belong to this world and not the kingdom. For them, everything's temporal. It will pass away into nothingness. But we, who are serving the living God, walking in his truth, we are people that have eternal significance because God's kingdom is forever and ever. Well, take out your Bible. We're going to begin a study today of John's first epistle. And we're going to see that he shares, especially in this first chapter, some very elementary and fundamental truth concerning Messiah. And that message concerning the person and the work of Messiah. So let's begin chapter 1, verse 1 of John's first epistle. We read here, which was from the beginning. Now, God, from before the foundations of the world, meaning before creation, before time was, God had this purpose. Nothing surprises God. God understands all things. When did he understand all things? There was never a time that he didn't. He is omniscient. He has perfect knowledge. And what we have heard, this is the key. He says, what was from the beginning 
And many of the commentators believe from the revelation, the beginning of God's revelation, his prophetic truth, what the people heard from the prophets. He says, what was from the beginning, what we heard and what we saw. Now, we need to realize that in this first verse, there is going to be two different words for seeing, having a perspective. And one is simply noticing something, seeing it, beholding it. But the other word that we'll come across in a few minutes, it has to do with beholding something, seeing something, but that vision, that seeing it, is going to provide understanding, wisdom. It is going to give us a new, a different perspective for our lives. So we read here once more, verse 1, which was from the beginning, what we heard, what we have seen, seen with their eyes, and what we, and here it is, have beheld or perceived. This word is a word of seeing and coming to a knowledge, having discernment, having a different perspective because what you have seen. He goes on to say, and our hands have touched or handled or felt this. Now here, what he's doing is saying that it is discernible for humanity to come to a proper knowledge of Messiah. And Messiah, he represents, he completed, he fulfilled, he represents God's purpose in redemption. And redemption bears fruit. There is an outcome of redemption. Redemption produces a relationship. That's why marriage, marriage is a covenant, a covenant of redemption. And it's that work of redemption that establishes that covenant that produces a relationship. And this is what John is revealing in this passage. And that relationship is going to be experienced in the fullest sense. What we have seen, what we have, have heard, what we've handled, touched, what we have beheld with understanding. He says all of this, what our eyes have, have, have seen and we have perceived, he goes on to say, and our hands have touched concerning, and here's the, the main part of verse 1. He says, concerning the word of life. Now, biblically, life is just not being alive. Life has to do with being brought into the purposes of God. And that is something that, that most people ignore. They set aside. They don't pay attention to. But life, true life, is only when we are brought into the purpose, the plan, the will of God. And again, as I said earlier, it's when I'm in the midst of God's will, doing his purposes, fulfilling his plan for my life. Then and only then am I going to know and experience what God, God describes and defines as life. Most of the people who are alive in this world 
they are not experiencing the life in any sense of that. They are not experiencing the life that God has for them. And what we're learning at this, this conclusion of verse 1 is that this one who can be seen and, and heard and was touched and handled and beheld, this one, this one is the source of life, true life. So again, he says, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Verse 2, and the life was manifested, and we have seen, and we have testified, and we have proclaimed to you, and those are what it says, not just life, but eternal life. Now, to understand John, and by the way, John, his name in Hebrew is Yochanan, he is a Jewish man. And therefore, it may be of great value for us to understand that this term eternal is an adjective. We hear eternal and we think, well, it describes something that, that doesn't end forever and ever. That's true. But you also need to understand that the term eternal is the chief adjective that describes the kingdom. So when it says here, eternal life in this epistle it is speaking about kingdom life and that is the true life that is what god wants us to experience how much does god want us to experience this well he sent his son to die a very barbaric cruel death in order that you and i could have this kingdom life and if you don't receive it receive it by faith, receiving the grace of God, the mercy of God. You're not going to have this kingdom life and you will eternally regret it. In other words, this is important information. It is life-changing forever, not just for one of the time periods of your life, one of the chapters of your existence, but this is about eternity. So he says at the end of, of verse 2, he says, this life which was, was manifested and what we have seen and what we testify and proclaim to you, this eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. So he, speaking of Messiah, he was always with the Father. And this one, is now manifested to us. John is writing this epistle. So those who may not have known of Yeshua previously, those who may have never experienced him, may have never heard his voice, seen him with their eyes, been able to touch him, or heard anything about his work. Now, through this epistle, we can find the revelation, we can develop that right perspective so that we can experience just that, that we can have a kingdom life. And notice what it says. This has to do with intimacy with the Father and now the same intimacy that, that he had for eternity. Never was he not with his Father. 
even when he came into this world and took on human flesh there was that that intimacy with his father to the extent that this same john wrote in his gospel that that messiah yeshua and god the father are one and there was only that that momentary break in this intimacy when he was on that cross and the scripture says that he became sin for us and sin separates us from god so when messiah the one who knew no sin perfect in every way never sinned never transgressed never committed an iniquity when he became sin for us what does that mean that your sins and my sins were placed upon him and it was that sin my sin your sin that brought about this death this separation from his heavenly father except for that moment there was perfect unity between this living word the son of god messiah and the heavenly father and we find out that john is manifesting this truth of his identity who he is and what he has done he's manifesting it it says to them it was manifested to us and now we're manifesting it to you look to verse verse 3 which this same messiah which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you and notice what he says in order that also you have fellowship with us now this fellowship speaks about the fact that it's only through him that people can have unity with one another without a a proper relationship a new covenant relationship with the messiah without accepting his work upon that cross the shedding of his blood you can never have first we've already seen you're not going to have intimacy with god but secondly you're not going to have intimacy with one another only him only he can bring about this reconciliation between one another to bring about unity and what is this speaking about well as many scholars point out it speaks about him creating a people one people a family the family of god so he writes here he says in order also that you you can have fellowship with us and this fellowship our fellowship and there's another another part of speech he says and and then the next word literally in the text would be the word but he's unifying this but he wants to emphasize something beyond that he's just talked about the fellowship that we can have with one another but there's also another fellowship and that's what he's emphasizing here he says the fellowship with the father and with his son messiah yeshua so this is what he's emphasizing this fellowship that we can have by means of his son the messiah this one that john is speaking about this one who was from the beginning what we have heard about and 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 from the prophets we've heard about it we've seen now in his days he appeared and now john and others are testifying testifying to these individuals 
about the person and the work of Messiah. So he says, as he concludes this first paragraph where he writes, and these things we write to you, and notice this, in order that your joy shall be made full. Now, this goes back to something that, that we begin with, and that is, do you know contentment in your life? Do you have a joy, a joy that's not the outcome of, of the physical, whether your life is going well, whether it's not, whether you have possessions that you want that you need or whether you don't, but we're talking about a joy that is supernatural, that is not based upon any physical thing, but it's based upon intimacy, being in a relationship with the love, living God who loves us and who has bestowed in our behalf his very son to do that work of redemption. So he's speaking here about fellowship, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, and all of this is summarized by one term, and it's joy. Only through faith, biblical faith, responding to the message, that message of the gospel, are you going to know this joy that, that John is speaking about at the end of verse 4. And notice something else. It says, in order that your joy might be made complete. Now, this word for, for being made complete, what's important about it is that it's in the passive voice. What does that mean? You can't bring this joy into your life. It's not something that you can do. It's not something that some other human being can do. But it's in the passive. And the emphasis is only God can do that. And how does God do it? Through the work of his son. So it's only by means of him that you can experience this joy. You can pursue it in all the places you want, but you'll never find it. Instead of knowing that contentment, that peace, that joy, you're going to experience frustration. Now, the second thing about this, not only is in the passive voice, but when we look at the tense, it's in the perfect. What does that mean? That, that the moment that one believes... That, that joy is going to be released in your life. So it's something, for example, I've been a believer for over 30 years. So that joy is something that I know that I'm familiar with in the past. And that same joy is present today, now. And the perfect tells me it is going to continue. Because it's not based upon anything human, physical, something that, that another one can take away, as long as I am in this covenant, as long as I am in intimacy with God, that joy is going to be in my life. I will have it. That peace that passes on understanding, that contentment. Look now to, to verse 5. He says, and this is the message. Now, this message is a focus upon knowing the truth of God, the revelation of God, specifically the Redeemer, and we're speaking about the Messiah. And this is the message which we have heard from Him, 
and we proclaim to you. So John is speaking personally. He says, we, these believers that he's part of, we've heard this, and now we proclaim to you. He says, we proclaim to you that God is light. Now, John, as he's writing here, we see that, that much of his language is, is taken from the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis. We have from the beginning, that term Bereshit means at the beginning or in the beginning, depending upon how you translate it. And here he's telling us that God is light. Now, when we look at the account of creation in Genesis, we see that after the initial creation, and don't be misled, don't be deceived, there's not billions of years between that initial creation and then as we move on into the account in Genesis 1. There's nothing from the text that, that leads to that fault conclusion. Nothing whatsoever. It simply tells us that God created and he created with purpose. But initially, that purpose could not be seen or achieved. Why? He wants to teach us something. It wasn't until the Spirit of God began to move over the waters and God began to speak. Now, here's what he's referring to. He's speaking about the Word, God speaking, and the Spirit, the Word and the Spirit, work together to bring about order. In your life, left to yourself in your natural condition, your life will not have a divine, a godly, a proper order. You're going to be pursuing things that are of no value. You're not going to be thinking correctly. Left to yourself without God's revelation, you are in darkness. But it tells us here that it's through this message and the presence of God, and there's an inherent relationship here between the message that's being said and the presence of God. It's this message that brings the presence of God into our life. So he says here, here's the message that, that we have heard, and now that we, we proclaim to you that God is light, and darkness in him, there is not any, nothing whatsoever in regard to darkness. Now, darkness is at odds with the character of God. The Bible says God is light. There is no darkness whatsoever in him. Now, darkness speaks about confusion, darkness, lack of, of understanding, no perception and darkness. It's unknown. You don't know what's around you, what's going on. And God has come through this work of his son in order that we might know the truth, that we might receive revelation and be able in the same way. What did God do in that story of creation in the book of Genesis chapter 1? He says, Vayahi or, which means, let there be light. And through this light, things began to take shape. To the extent, in the end, God was well pleased, behold, it says, everything was good, very good. And light is a source of that which is good. So there's no darkness in him. Verse 6, 
if we say that we have fellowship with him and in the darkness we walk what are we we have lied that's the problem in him when we are seeking his truth when we are in this covenantal relationship with him we're not going to be in darkness but here's what he's revealing to us when i make a decision you know, one of the greatest powers that God has given to human beings is the power to choose. So when I say and make this decision, I choose wisely. And I say, I want to serve God. That desire, if it's sincere, and you say, oh God, I want to serve you. I want to do your will. I want to be committed to your purposes. I want my life to be under your authority. When we sincerely feel these things, desire these things, vocalize these things in prayer, that is an invitation for God to begin to illuminate, give revelation, reveal his truth to us so that we can do that which we said. We want to serve you, but without the truth of God, we cannot. So he says here, look again at the text, verse, verse 7, where he says, actually verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and in the darkness we walk, what are we? We are a liar. And he says, and we do not do the truth. Now, these two concepts are very, very important. Truth and lie that's all there is there is either that which is false or that which is true no gray area nothing in the middle true or false God's Word only through his revelation can we know the truth and that truth when it is received and when that truth brings about godly change in our life the outcome, we've already learned what that is. That our joy might be made full, might be complete. And that joy, accompanied with that truth, and that truth working itself out in our life, all of that is going to produce a wonderful change that's going to give your life meaning and satisfaction. It's going to give its meaning because, we've already said it, it's going to give our life an eternal aspect that unless you are in his truth in that covenant responding to his revelation understanding the words of life that kingdom truth your life will not have and when your life lacks that eternal aspect of the kingdom of God when it lacks that you'll be frustrated you'll feel lacking there will be an emptiness and you won't know that joy or that peace or that contentment that God wants you to have. Look now at verse 7. He says, But if in the light we walk. Now, he's talking about this, and it's very important here. It's in the present tense. And what he's doing is teaching us a principle. Many times the present tense is used to say, if you do this now, if this is your state of being, this is your current situation, then this is the outcome. But if it's not the present reality, 
then what God is saying is not going to be. So the present can speak about a dependency. For this to be true, it's dependent upon something else. And that's what he's revealing here in this verse. Look again at verse 7. But if in the light, that's what it's dependent upon. Are we walking in the light? But if in the light we walk as he is in the light, notice what it says. We have fellowship with one another. Now, the outcome here is that God is interested. We see this going back to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, it picks up after Genesis, obviously. And Genesis, we see humanity loss. And then we see God demonstrating to us through a few means that, that redemption, putting things back as God intended them, isn't possible unless God moves, unless he responds. And God moves and responds through a covenant that he begins to offer through Abraham. And that covenant has to do with the seed of Abraham, the Redeemer, meaning the Messiah. This anointed one who came to bring a kingdom reality to those who were lost. So here, it's very important that we see the connection. Look again at verse, verse, verse 7. He says, when we are in the light, operating in the revelation, light is synonymous with truth in this context. When we are in the light, the truth of God, we have fellowship with one another. And this fellowship, it is through who? We also have it, this fellowship. We've already learned this with one another and with God. And all of this is possible, and he wants us to realize this. He says, and the blood of Messiah Yeshua. Now, when we talk about the blood of Messiah Yeshua, what is being interjected into the text? Very simple. The concept of redemption. We've said this before. Messiah came as the Redeemer. One of my favorite scriptures is when Messiah says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather he came to, to serve, to give his life as a redemption for others. That means for you and me. And if you wise, then you're going to understand that there's no other source for this redemption and how desperately you and I need this redemption. It's only then that we can have fellowship with God the Father, have fellowship with one another, and all of this is the outcome of the redemptive work of Messiah. And that's why he says, and the blood, blood is always connected to redemption, and the blood of Messiah Yeshua, his son, it says, he will cleanse us, this blood will cleanse us from all sin. Now, that is such a powerful statement. From what? From all sin. Now, why is that important? Because this gives us, this gives us assurance. That's what we need to, to memorize and be always mindful of, that the redemption that Messiah's blood provides 
it cleanses me eternally, that I will forever be part of God's family. That is the power of Messiah's work, and that's why we can have, what I said earlier, this very important blessing, and that is assurance. We can know. We're not doubtful. We're not hopeful in the sense of hope and I don't know if this is reality, but I want it to be. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible gives us assurance. These things are not uh, maybe promises, but they are totally promises from the mouth of God. So we read here that, that this blood of his son cleanses us from all sin, verse 8. And if we say that we do not have sin, now everyone, doesn't matter who you are. See, one of the things that we need to understand is that human beings, we, we may look different, we may have different characteristics, we may have different color of skin or, or hair or eyes, whatever. All those things are external. They have no spiritual significance whatsoever. We are all the workmanship of God. He created everyone. And the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. What does that mean? God, God doesn't have any favorites. And, and even though we might speak different languages, we may have some cultural differences, but when you get right down to it, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, we are all most similar. And certainly one of the things that we all have in common is lostness. We have been conceived by sinful parents and their sinfulness has passed into us biologically, genetically, where all people are sinners. And therefore, he writes, look again at this text, verse, verse 8. He says, if we say that we do not have sin, he says two things. First of all, he says, we deceive ourselves. So anyone who says, I I'm not a sinner, they have been deceived and they're deceiving themselves by these words. What's the second thing? And the truth is not in us. So we all are sinful. What does that mean? We all have need of what John's speaking about. This redemption, this Messiah, this cleansing us from our sin. So we all have that in common. And when we experience that, it gives us fellowship, intimacy with one another because we come into the family of God. So we read here, if we say that we do not have sin, ourselves we deceive and the truth meaning the truth of god this light is not in us in other words we are in spiritual darkness but notice now verse 9 if on the other hand that's the implication if we confess our sins notice we have someone this is what he's been speaking about what he says from the beginning this one that we've heard, this one that we've seen, this one that John and those with him, their eyes have seen. They've been able to touch, to feel, to handle. He's real. He speaks to our senses. 
He's discernible. And he says, this one, look at the text, what it says. This one, when we confess our sins, faithful is he also righteous. So he's faithful, and that faithfulness will produce righteousness in our behalf. And what does that, that come about in? Well, that righteousness is only going to come about through what it says here, in order that, that, that should be forgiven us, what? The sins. Now, I like this because it says the sins, meaning every sin. There is nothing uh, uh, that exempts itself from, from this passage. When it says the sins, it means all such sins for sinfulness of every type of variety. So he's faithful, and his faithfulness produces righteous. He's righteous in order that we should be forgiven of the sins. And not just forgiven, but it says also he cleanses us from, from all unrighteousness. So we have forgiveness from all sins and from all that which is unrighteous. Now, here again, I mentioned to you that, that John, being Jewish, he comes from this unique cultural background where he would understand. And, of course, the Spirit of God is inspiring him to write these things down. And there's a connection between righteous and the kingdom. So when it cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness, what it's saying is that he's putting us into a kingdom condition whereby we are kingdom people. We are called to, to demonstrate, express the kingdom character. And you say, well, where in the Bible do you see a connection between kingdom and righteousness? In the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew chapter 6, where Messiah says, and he's commanding, are you doing this command? He says, seek first, that is, seek with the priority, the kingdom and its righteousness. These two concepts, kingdom and righteousness, goes together. So let's conclude, he says, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, our last verse. If we say that, that we, we, we are not sinful, that we have not sinned, he says, we make a liar him. Literally, a liar we make him. Why? Because he's come in order to proclaim forgiveness of sins, to transform us, to make us into a new creation. And why do we need to be in this new creation? Because sin destroyed what we should be. Sin has affected us adversely and left to ourselves without God's interaction, His intervention. Without that, we are going to be lost for eternity. But if we receive that forgiveness, if we submit to His work in our life, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, making us into a kingdom people, but if we say we don't have any need of that because we're not sinful, then what he has said must not be true. And we are proclaiming 
by our, our falsehood that he's a liar. So once more, verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, a liar we make him, and his word is not in us. Now, what John does when he concludes is just this. He concludes chapter 1 by revealing to us how important truth is. It's foundational. It is the truth of God, and remember the connection between truth and life, light. It is through the truth that we're going to have light that is the illumination. That illumination is going to lead us to God's revelation, his message of that gospel, that plan of salvation. And it's going to be this salvation experience which comes by the work of redemption. That's why it says, his blood cleanses us from all sin, from all unrighteousness. It is through this redemption that we experience life. Not just a life in this world, but a kingdom life that causes us to be aliens and strangers here because ultimately and eternally our, our citizenship is in the kingdom. We're strangers, we're sojourners, we're aliens here, but with an assignment. We're, in other words, ambassadors of that kingdom. And this is what John is revealing to us, as us in this first chapter, that we might know our new identity in Messiah, that we might express that, because John understands that there's an enemy. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, and we enter into chapter 2 of 1 John. Until then, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.